Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to the Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. While you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Today, the cool kids are talking about how to implement spaced learning and practice retrieval techniques. Now, our conversation today is centered around knowing that training events that happen once without any follow-up or reflection is like teaching a pig to climb a tree. It's a waste of time and it angers the pig. Building a plan for learning retention after a training event may be even more critical than building the training event itself. Building learning triggers and reinforcing skills and behaviors is the only way to increase the odds of tying lessons to learning to action. Therefore, let's answer the big question on the table today. What techniques do you use to incorporate learning practice and reflection after training events? So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. And today our topic is creating sticky training so the learning is sustainable after the fact. Here's my question. How are we doing this? (laughs) We know that the one-off training, the training courses, even the typical type of training universities, sales universities, leadership universities, we know that is outmoded when it is by itself. So when you hold an event singularly, we know that the odds are that the learning isn't going to stick afterwards unless we're doing something after the training event to promote practice retrieval. So here's my question for you. What are you doing within your own businesses and within your own training teams to bring practice retrieval to the table or to bring spaced learning to the table? What are your tips and techniques that you are using for this? or you're unsure and that's why you're here today. So I'm really curious to know where you stand with these techniques. So Douglas, I see your hand. So let's start with you. So in a previous organization, we used an outside party called Clever Nelly. I don't know if anybody has ever come across them. No. Some AI to it. So we could write questions for our salespeople in the background and it would send an email to each of these individuals on a daily basis. So you got back around analytics, who's answering, who's answering wrong, who's actually not answering, right? So you could use that as a, uh, a management tool as well, but you could write different layers of questions. So if we were introducing a new product, they had the product kickoff meeting, so on and so forth, they would get daily emails to this. So it dealt with compliance stuff or how do you sell it? What's the sell sheet? Where do you find that information? And it would track kind of their how fast they answered as well as correctness. And then after they gauged whatever or got to whatever level that we felt was an acceptable competency level, it would start introducing higher level questions and then just keep tracking like that. So you could constantly go back into the back end and change the questions, look at the analytics and see what ones. And it also showed us sometimes we were asking the the question in a horrible manner, right? So Mm. then it became a, all right, nobody's getting this right. We know they know the information. What did we do that didn't lead them into the right pathway? So, but in my current company, we are so antiquated, not there. It's as simple as, right, we finish any event, sending a Google Docs survey a week later or 30 days later Mm. that just kind kind of regenerates. And then we're starting to, on some of the more hardcore skills, actually setting up just open conference calls, right? So, and sending it out to that that group is just similar to what you do here, right? Every two weeks is that these group of people, if they choose to, can come on and hear how other experiences are going or, and stuff like that. So this is from this very, I don't want to say antiquated. So the company I work for, we've been around since 1905 and it still feels like some of the things that we do in 2022 are from 1906. <laughs> Bless their hearts we're populated with just ridiculously amazing people that do really challenging things 
really well all day long. But change is not in their wheelhouse a lot of times. <laughs> so it's sometimes just a it's a grind, right? But that's right. okay, right? It's all worth it. So even something like that is a, a huge leap forward for these folks versus mm-hmm. some other places that it would be a thing that that happens daily. So mm-hmm. that's kind of our story. Well, thank you for that. And new tool to look up. You said it was Clever Nelly. Is that what you said it was? Yes, ma'am. I believe they're located, come out of the UK, if I recall. I think Kelly found a link here. Thank you for that, Kelly. It's interesting, though, when we've got organizations that are kind of stuck in their ways, where it's like, just do the class. Just do the class. Everybody will be okay. And maybe, like you said, Douglas, is that you send a follow-up survey, you send that smile sheet, and everybody everybody liked it, right? And so it, it must work. And we know that that's not true. And then when we're thinking about spaced learning, right, and we think about practice retrieval, the whole point of practice retrieval is to take information that you've given them and that they have hopefully stored in some fashion in their long-term memory. They pull it up front, they play with it a little bit, and then they store it, right? And so your like 30-second science lesson here is pulling information from the back of the brain into the front of the brain really creates stronger pathways. And that's what we're trying to do when we think about practice retrieval and with spaced learning, exactly as you were saying, Douglas. So every time they got those text messages that asked them to remember something, that was pulling information from the back to the front. And that's what we want to do constantly is pull information from the back to the front. So that way we're creating those stronger pathways. So I I love the idea of the tool that you mentioned and we'll I'll certainly look it up so we can find something fresh and new maybe that we can do. But I love in the chat, you guys mentioned things like communities of practice. And as you mentioned, Douglas, things like this call where we can practice the skills that we have or talk about the skills that we have. So Kelly, I see your hand. Over to you. So one of the things that we did is that we kind of explained this to the regional managers. And so we actually set up a deck for them post the big meetings to go over what people learned and ask if they were implementing them. So in the regional calls, the regional sales calls, we kind of prepped them with what to ask and what to review and get people's comments and what's working and what's not. And so we're trying to reinforce the learning from the big meetings because we spend so much money on these national sales meetings and then regional meetings. And it's such a waste if they don't, and they've never done this before where they've never followed up. So that's something that we're trying to do and that we've got kind of a format and we take a lot of the information from the workshops that they attended and put it in there. So if they're showing it, then people will at least visually kind of begin to remember that if they're just listening, at least we have a format and they're hearing the same words that they Mm -hmm. heard in the meeting and reinforcing the same topics. I love that. And you're absolutely right. There is so much money wasted and left on the table when we put these huge initiatives out and we don't follow it up with something, you know, that is just good money after bad. Doug, I really feel you. I feel like the larger the organization, the slower we move. I'm in a training department of maybe 10 to 20 people now, and we know these things, but convincing others and spending money on these large programs I've already taken several notes of things I'm going to bring up back at my work. The form that's been in place is we teach a class and then a year later we give you a follow-up class. We know it's inadequate. It's job security. I know I will be teaching this class again. And when you have to move through an organization, you know, it takes three months to get everybody through the class. And seven months later, you will be starting again. (laughs) We're certainly moving to things. Just on a kind of a quicker note, our group tries to do whatever creative things we can get away with without corporate having to say, okay. We have started turning a lot of our introductory courses. We teach the course and then we have a wrap that we've made up. And the wrap has a slide deck with it. So one of 
not myself, but one of our employees wraps kind of the slide deck. We send that out. And I like that slide deck idea. Um, also, we have a couple song and dances that we perform for a few safety things, etc. Right, <laughs> Elizabeth, you're, you're going with that. I really love these ideas. Study group, communities of practice. These are great things. So thank you, guys. You're most welcome. And we all benefit from this. As I put into the chat, one of the things some of you who are core for our coffee chats, it's almost like our little support group, isn't it? <laughs> it's, this is our therapy session. It's almost our way to experiment with different ideas as well. So if you've got an idea, let's put it out in front of the group. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. Or, you know, sharing between peers. I love this. And Lillian, I, I like your idea there. When you talk about song and dance, you kind of say that in jest. And I used to work for an organization where we did a lot of that sort of fun stuff. And we put it to music. But the key to that is if you put it to some sort of music that is popular at the time, if they hear that music, hopefully they think about that concept again. So you're creating triggers. And when we think about building habits and we think about building skills, a lot of times it's based on the triggers, the learning triggers that we build in, right? So this is an important part of learning reinforcement as well. What's going to happen to trigger the working or rather the long-term memory for a skill or, or for some sort of knowledge set? So while we might laugh and we think, oh, yeah, that's kind of fun, you know, song and dance. But you know what? That could be a very important trigger when used in the right place. Yes. And actually, Lillian set me up with her awesome glasses. Thank you, Lillian. And then you followed through. That's exactly what I was getting to, which was everybody gets super serious. Everybody's stressed. Training, ideally, is not an additional stressor. So, I mean, there's different ways we can talk about how to make it stick. But to me, one way is the use of humor and engagement. So when I run projects with clients or multiple clients within a company, I always think of making learning campaigns. And sometimes mm -hmm. I make it a formal campaign as part of the project plan that we do. But I am a huge fan of using humor because not just humor, but just fun or make it mm -hmm. feel like this isn't out of my reach. Because if you create positive associations with that content, people are going to be more likely to be open to it in the future. Like the last client, I had to build a training team so the company didn't even know us. And I introduced the team with a whole Star Trek theme. Oh, nice. Yeah. And the first major audience we launched to were people who were basically going to end up being all of our IT technical SMEs and Star Trek original, by the way, in case anybody out there cares. But by the end, I didn't even do this. Someone in the audience picked up the Vulcan greeting and then they started chanting the thing that I taught. Like, I just kept repeating the same kind of phraseology of like, when you work with us, this is how it's going to go down. And like months and even a year later, when we would finally encounter someone to work on a project with us, they'd be like, oh yeah, Vulcan. And I was like, boom, like it worked. Mm -hmm. And even if they didn't remember the exact little song kind of thing, they had a positive feeling about us. And I know that made working with them easier. Right. Totally agree with that. I think a lot of times we get in our own way as L&D professionals where we get super serious. We get super teachy teachy with people. And what we do is we turn them off. We turn them off of the learning process. And I think, again, where we think about fun, we think about humor, we think about engagement. And there are going to be a lot of people who are listening to this who are going to say, well, yeah, but fun. It's like, yes, I get it. It's appropriate fun appropriate humor, all of those things taken into consideration where you have to understand your audience and understand your topic. But there are ways around it because nowhere in any sort of specification, be it compliance or otherwise, when you look at the specification as to what needs to occur with this training class, I have yet to read a bullet point that says we need to make this as boring as possible. I don't see that out there. So then it turns around back to us. How can we make this engaging? And again, Elizabeth, love the Star Trek analogy. So it's that trigger, isn't it? Here's a trigger to help you think about the learning as it moves forward. 
I have a story that is really a failure of this practice. Sure, share. We had a two-day project management training that we did, and it's not typical project management, but rather for the AEC industry, engineering. I think about two or three weeks after that, we had group calls and we had two scheduled to do follow-ups and like see how people were applying it and have a discussion. And they just couldn't make it to those calls. It was a scheduling problem. I think if they had been able to make it, they would have participated willingly, but they couldn't make it to the call. And so we eventually dropped it and we've reformulated how we're doing the whole training. But that was sad because when our people work on projects, so they need to be billable and training is not billable. So it's a big problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're working in like legal, et cetera, you know, so people are working on billable hours, but you know what? I love that you mentioned that Renee, because there will be failures. There will be things that don't work the way that you anticipate them working. Absolutely. Here's the beauty of this is that if you think about your learning reinforcement moments and you think about them from a flexible and adaptable standpoint, right? So they're not so ingrained in stone, then perhaps you can flip the switch and you can go, you know what? These phone calls aren't working. Why don't we do audio clips and send those to them via email so that they can listen to them? Why don't we take the training that perhaps we might have recorded? break that up and send that to them via email, right? So thinking about this from a very nimble perspective, being able to be really kind of snappy with it allows us to produce those moments where they can connect lessons to learning to action. So thank you for that, Renee, because I think that's an important lesson. It really is. One thing that I haven't heard that I think is highly important to recognize that It is not just our role to ensure that training transfer sticks. Yes. People that have the self-initiative to attend training must have some of that ownership in that. So what I often do in training, it's been something that, that I'll often open with about trying to find what is important for them so that we can focus some more of the content on them. So after I go through the descriptions, the objectives, and the agenda, if there's one for the day, I'll open up either a Mentimeter or just a flip chart and saying, hey, of everything that's here, what brought you to class? So we can make sure we spend just maybe a little bit more time on it versus let's run through all the content and have you be drinking out of a fire hose. Yes. And then at the end of training, I talk about, and I'll bring it up repetitively if it's associated with the training, about while it's my role to share this information with you. It's not my role for you to apply it because we talk about the knowledge transfer statistic that within a few days, it's 10%. If you don't touch it within a week, it's less than five, depending upon what it is that you might be. And those points might be just what really resonated with you at the end of training. I often will take like a prop or something and saying, okay, you've come to class. Is this going to be one of those trainings that you're going to put on the bookshelf and it gathers dust? Because us as trainers, we ourselves are not exempt from that. Mm -hmm. I know I've done that with trainings that I've attended just in the last few weeks, Mm -hmm. even if it's just a webinar. I haven't had the opportunity to go back and touch it as much as I would like to go back and revisit the concepts. But there becomes a point of that the learners need to take some ownership and responsibility of their own learning. Because I know that one of the biggest things I hear often is that, especially at the individual contributor level, is that there's a lack of self-initiative. If you want to start building not just the self-initiative muscle, but also starting to expand your own learning, you need to find ways in which to apply it. And then also looking at the pipeline of what is leader's role within that knowledge transfer? Because Most often I see it uh, where, and I'm thankful I'm at an organization where it's not this paradigm, where it's often the training department's responsibility to train and make sure that the information that the people learn get applied. No, at my employer, not only is it the learning and developments area that has responsibility, but so do the employees. They have responsibility and stake in what they're learning to translate it to long-term use. And so do the supervisors and managers who they report to. Now, this is related to my own doctorate project that I'm working on, but like in employee coaching, managerial coaching, that topic 
is such an important topic for managers that are just starting to get their feet wet, that if they want to start being a better coach to their employee, not the control and command coaching, but the actual inspire and build trust with, but help their employees that attend training start applying their knowledge. So Mm -hmm. is it a collective learning where individuals within their team need to take on a responsibility at the meeting that week to share two tidbits that they've learned Mm -hmm. and how they've approached it. So then it becomes more of a collective learning process than Mm -hmm. just an individual process. Is it that you need to rearrange duties to provide this individual who has attended the training to have the opportunity to actually practice it? So if they're in a role where they are attending some grooming but they don't have the opportunity to practice the grooming that they're attending, then maybe it's their turn to lead a cross-functional project. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just our responsibility it's alone. It's also the responsibility of those who are coming and those who are supporting them coming to the trainings that we're putting on. Completely agree with you, Amanda. Thank you for bringing that up. There is that fine line that we walk, isn't it? We do not own learning. We may be in that position, but we don't own it. Individuals own their learning. So now what is our role to build the pathway that people can take? That, I believe, is our core function, which is to guide people and to help them discover the learning that they need in order to continue to upskill, reskill as needed. So how do we do this? How do we do this? And that is by activating managers earlier in the process. Sometimes the managers really have no idea what's going on with the training agenda. And that's our bad, right? So we save that for too late. And by the time it gets to the manager, the manager's like, I don't know what you're doing, but I don't have time for this, right? So we don't activate them soon enough. And we don't activate expectations soon enough with the learners themselves, with the people themselves. We don't activate that soon enough and say, when you participate within this training program or within this initiative, here are things that you can do to activate that learning after the fact. These are tasks that you can do. These are actions that you can take. So rather than just throwing up learning objectives, I would suggest we throw up what are the expected outcomes? What are the expected actions? Nobody really cares, well, by the end of this class, you will be able to articulate and discuss X, Y, Z. No, tell them what the action is expected. After you have this knowledge and after you apply this knowledge, you will be able to produce higher commissions. You will be able to produce higher sales. You will be able to be more productive. You will be able to take your job and be able to do it smarter, better, faster than you were able to do that yesterday. So when we activate those sorts of, again, triggers in the mind, then I think we see bigger success. So Amanda, I appreciate your comments. I think that they're very, very valuable. Yes. Love what Amanda said. And that is one thing I do when I make project plans is there's an expectations area. Mm -hmm. And then part of that expectations are what every group, right? Stakeholders, sponsors, whatever, what the expectations are of them to have success because otherwise I'm sure none of you have experienced this, but sometimes the training people get thrown under the bus. No, no, I know. I know. It was, <laughs> I thought it was just me, but clearly it's just the two of us. So. Yeah. That never happens. Right. It does. And I, I think that that's kind of the frustration of the industry in general, right? Is that when things go well, then the business takes the credit when things go badly, everybody starts pointing fingers at training. Right. And, you know, to be fair, I think that's because, again, we do not articulate very well what our role is in conjunction with the business. Right. So when you're creating your training initiative, part of that training initiative, you know, your design document, if you will, is here are the actions that people are going to be able to do upon completion of this initiative. Here is what the management expectations are. Here are what the learner expectations are. And when you combine, and then also the expectation of the business is to give people time to practice and review and to regroup. And so if we have one plus one plus one plus one, that equals four. If any one of these things goes away, 
then we do not have success. We fail as an industry to articulate that. We don't tell the business that. We just assume they know, right? So we have to write that down and we have to let the business know that when you have all of these things in place, then you see success. If any one of these things falls away, then that's where we're going to have trouble. So we need to do better at articulating that. Also, I'd like to speak to something that Amanda said as well, which is behavior modeling. You guys do a great job. You show up here every other Friday and we share our ideas and we try to learn and grow from each other. That's great behavioral modeling. And so we can share that with the business and say, this is what we do to create those learning retention moments, to help our own selves with space learning and to grow our knowledge. Now, here's how I can see this working within our organization. We have to be the change we want to see, right? There's that cliche. What are we doing? You know, how are we helping ourselves? So I think that that's an important point as well. And I appreciate that Amanda brought that up. And so I love all of these different techniques that we're talking about here, about learning reinforcement, practice retrieval. We talked about emails, which is perfect because I'm a big a proponent of drip feeding through emails, drip feeding through chatbots, or even if you guys were in Debbie Richards, Augmented Reality, Learn Something New last week, that was really good. She showed us a lot of great techniques that we can use to apply learning reinforcement within the organization. All of those are really great ideas. What other things are you doing? How are you seeing learning retention progress within your organizations? I'd love to hear more. Well, this is more about a tool that I see used with um, some canned content that we facilitate from Franklin Covey, Okay, that they have ongoing applications that have been built that push out notifications on individuals' devices, where it's either a bite for a day or it's a bite for a week, where it's asking them to kind of look at what it is that they've learned. I believe it's like an open source app that items can be built upon and then you load it in that app where it can do something similar as Mm -hmm. their content has done. It's called MindMaker is one of the ones that one of their contents use and you have to put a code in and I'm assuming that they're a reciprocity for other ones that are similar to this. But if you were to build something that then pushes out reminders in a pre-built content, that is associated with the training that you've done, it could definitely be helpful. I love that. A bite a day, a bite a week, something small, right? And I think when we first try our hand at learning reinforcement from a drip feeding perspective, our tendency as L&D people still gets in our way because we're still in the mindset of trying to teach somebody something. And really what we want to do is we want to remind them of something. That's what learning reinforcement is, right? We want to, again, create that trigger that makes them think about what they've learned. We don't want to get all, you know, oh, here's the history of time in a big old long email. That's that's not the direction that we need to go in. But bless our hearts, that's our natural tendency. And we throw so much into a learning reinforcement email or what video or whatever it is that we're using that it gets lost. And so I love the idea of having those bites. There's been a mindset shift that I've done as I've gotten more into the coaching content in which I've really started looking at our role as reinforcers is more of coaches. What are coaching questions you could ask? Yes. Well, if you haven't used it so far, What's going to be the consequence of not changing or reflective questions, just prompts to get them thinking and using and reflecting because once they find something that works for them, great. If they don't, okay. It's really not our place to really teach after the fact. It's more of a coaching capacity than a teaching capacity. It's helping people connect the dots from lessons to learning to action. And I appreciate that you brought that up, Amanda, about questions. And one of our superpowers as L&D people is the ability to tease out questions and knowledge from people. And if we could hone that skill a little bit more, a lot of times at the end of a, a learning program, we'll say something to the effect of, are there any additional questions? 
Do you have any questions about this topic? Where do you feel lost? Right. So we, we ask questions like that. And maybe if we flip the script on those sorts of questions and ask them, which of the topics today is the one that you're going to put into action tomorrow? Right. So if we flip the script on questioning and then rolled that into follow up emails or what have you, then I think that we'll see more power in that. I remember here's an old school technique for you. Now that I just talked about questioning popped into my head, I used to run a leadership university for an organization that I worked for. And what I would have people do is at the end of our time together, I would have them take two key ideas, two key actions that they wanted to put into place immediately upon leaving. I had them put that on a three by five card. I would put that into an envelope and I would mail it to them, old school snail mail. So that way they got it maybe a week or a week and a half later, whatever. And then they opened it up and they were able to see that. And I would hope that that would trigger something to say, oh yeah, all of that stuff, like Amanda said, it's sitting on the shelf now and it's got dust on it or it's still thrown in the back of my car. Hopefully they pull that out and they're able to use that. And I think that's the same sort of nudges that we need to be using, right? And Chester, oh, I love that idea. Perhaps a packet for managers to coach their employees afterwards. I love that idea. Would you like to talk a little bit more about that idea? I saw a webinar a few months back with um, a consultant that was doing something along this line and the packets were structured. So they had a process that they would teach their managers for how to coach, basically like creating a culture of coaching in their organization. But so all the managers were kind of trained to follow this like four-step coaching process and it was spaced. So the first type of interaction would happen shortly after this class. The second interaction would be some type of discussion about how they're going to apply whatever it was. And they would actually have a project that they would have to do, or they would go implement it. And so their next conversation would be about how did that implementation go? And then in between all of that, there was just in time coaching and and at the end performance coaching. So it was really kind of helping the managers help with that retention process. I love that idea. And I, that's a force through the trees idea for me. I don't know about for the rest of you. That's something I hadn't thought about doing. I often tried to communicate to managers and bring them into the conversation earlier, as I said, you know, activating them earlier. But I love the idea of putting together just something really simple for them. Here's a tool. Here's a checklist. Here's a rubric. You know, here are some question prompts that you can ask people after they come back from a training session. Because again, we assume that the managers know what to do, that they know what to ask, they know how to support. That might necessarily be true. So a tool like this would be awesome. I love that idea, Chester. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's more effective if you're in an organization that either already values coaching or is trying Mm -hmm. to create that culture where you're actively trying to help managers in your organization be better coaches. If that's not really at the top of your mind, maybe I think something like this would probably just seem like a PDF file that you're sending, randomly sending managers, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Because I think it's baby steps. Maybe you don't have a culture of coaching. How do you get there? Well, you just don't throw a big, large packet on people's desks, right? You've got to do baby steps. So what's the next logical step? And once we get everybody on board with that, What's the next logical step after that? And so on and so on. And I think if you have a plan, like you said, if you have a plan, then it becomes easier for people to manage and it becomes easier for managers to then process. I love that idea. I think that's a great one. It kind of has a like a two two purposes to it, I guess. One is helping the employees to retain and and improve whatever the skill they wasn't learning and they were learning in training. And two is scaffolding or it's, it's actually giving managers a mental model of how to coach. Right. It is about scaffolding. And I think everything we do is about scaffolding. How can we support to get to the next phase? Right. It's interesting to me, like, do all of you just create like manager and leader and soft skill office worker training? 
that it seems like that's what everybody is discussing. And you know, I'm doing things for people installing equipment. Yes. Okay. Good question. I mean, we're a, a consulting company, so I mean, it's just could be my latest one. What research scientists mm-hmm. in a, a big industry, and mm-hmm. so yeah, PhD. Okay, good. I have I have a science degree. <laughs> but it's like, I mean, if I'm doing a course for somebody installing like gas lines or something like that, it's just different as far as the follow up. And um, of course, we mostly do e learning for our clients and. Sometimes you can tell if we have a new client, they're thinking that people will go back and take the course again. Listen, it's a half an hour. Nobody's going to do that, Mm-mm. you know, and they're not going to page through, even if you open up the menu mm-hmm. and they're not going to go, oh, that's the page that I found that on. And we always just suggest some kind of a job aid, you know, maybe even a laminated card that they can put into their toolbox mm-hmm. or, you know, something like that, or a series of videos that the person can pull up on their smartphone when they're out at the job site or something like that. But that's more at need. That wouldn't be something that that would be pushed to them. One time we have had work with a client on a drip campaign type of a thing had to do with cybersecurity. And of course, IT departments have their own ways of sending out fake phishing emails. And then if you, you know, to the fish, then you, you know, get sent different stuff. And, and that's really nice that they do that. We were doing like a once a month, 30 to 60 second animated, funny video about it. They would send it out as an email, but I think they also had that on their intranet, like on the homepage that people would see when they'd log in. So that was available. And just as a conversation generator, because a lot of times, Everybody in a company will use email or the computer somehow, not just um, desk workers. So um, those are a couple of ideas that I had. I love that. And those really are, yes, they're performance support tools, Kim, which which you described, but they're also learning reinforcement tools because those job aids, when appropriately designed, also reinforce knowledge that they've learned from somewhere else. Let's take that up a step. So what would happen if within your handout, you had a QR code that they could scan and that QR code would give them, don't forget these tips. Don't forget to do this before you do that, right? And so that QR code could pop up either with an audio clip, it could pop up as a short video, it could pop up as a variety of different things to reinforce the information that's on that job aid. I was actually thinking that when you were talking about Cindy, I was thinking you you could definitely use augmented reality for that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. if it was interesting, if it was done well and it was fun, people would be more likely to continue to use that. Even a poster in the break room yes. is, you know, yes. in a factory, that's reinforcement of a kind, you know, after a while you, it's like wallpaper, you don't see it, but you have to change them. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Gotta change them. So yeah. Well, thanks, you guys. Those were my ideas. I love those ideas. And I think plenty of us have forgotten about some of the old school, low tech type of things that we can do to help people who are in technical spots. So if you think about people who are in manufacturing or um, mechanics, right? People who are really doing work with widgets all day long. So how can we make the process less disruptive to them? Well, you put it where they work. So Kim, to your point, if you're on a workshop floor and if you had a poster that reflected something that they just went through or a change in process or a change in equipment, and on that poster, you had that augmented reality code or that um, dynamic QR code, boom, again, you've got the trigger. But like we said, you know, sometimes it gets old. You've got a poster that's been on a wall and it's got dust on it. That's not helpful. You know, so you, even if you're doing the same poster, create six or seven different designs of it. So that way people will see, oh, well, it's kind of new, but not really, you know, so they, they recognize that something different is on their wall. But absolutely, I love this. Tom, emergency response training for management employees, annual training. Yes, absolutely. Here we go. Newbie question. Is there a way to link your QR code to a video, but it's behind a firewall? Yes, you can. Kelly, did you want? Yeah, let me. (laughs) So if your company is a Microsoft enterprise company, which most of them are, but not all of them, they have 
a app called Stream. Our IT never turned it on and I didn't even know it existed. And then I had a training vendor says, well, you can just load these to Stream. And I was like, what's Stream? They said, well, it's Microsoft YouTube for enterprise. And I was like, what? And so I emailed the head of IT and said, do we have this? Is this part? Yeah, we've never turned it on. Nobody needs it. I'm like, I need it. <laughs> so now I have all kinds of videos. And then that, of course, linked to SharePoint. So I was able to put links to the stream videos in SharePoint. And now we can create pages. And I thought nobody was using the Ring Central page that I had some videos linked to that were on stream. Oh, no, no. When I took the page down, I got all these complaints. And I was like, okay, I'll put the page up again. And yes. so I guess I should have looked at the user statistics, but you know, before I took it down. But I was like, we don't need that, that in the menu anymore. We launched that training. And so yes, if you have a Microsoft shop, ask your IT people if they have the rights to stream. It's kind of part of the whole Microsoft Office kind of thing. So, and then we solved that problem. Sometimes you can link videos to like just your share public drives. It's a little harder to manage, but these days everything's a URL. And so that's another, another option. That was very helpful. And I know a lot of organizations, they they don't use YouTube for those very reasons because it's not secure, but also Vimeo, you know, Vimeo or Fuse, those are more secure, you know, that you can put, you can password protect those. And a lot of times IT will go along with that. Wistia, yes, is also a good third-party application that a lot of IT departments like. So Maria, for software training, we develop case scenarios. So Maria, you want to come off um, mute and talk to me about that? Yes, we do uh, software training for um, a very large organization. And when our learners come to training, they are given a training workbook with all of the step-by-steps to perform an action. And basically, it's like a recipe. They don't really think for themselves. But when they leave training, we provide for them a scenario, which is a use case, and they have to go and perform those steps without the step-by-steps written out for them. So they have to think it through in a real life, in a situation which where they would normally be in. Right. So is that like giving them a sandbox to play in? Yes, they do have a sandbox to play in for X amount of days after they um, return from training. And it's the same sandbox that they learn in. So it, there's no difference from what they see when they go to training than the one that they get after training. I like that. I think that's a great idea to build on that idea. You could do this through email. You could do this through a blog post, you know, quote unquote, a blog post where you create like an article where you might say, here are the first couple of steps. What would you do next? So here's the scenario. There are several options that you could take, which one might be the best one for you. And so that's also a way of questioning if in the event you didn't have a sandbox for them to play in. So there's, there's a way to get around that and to ask those sort of deeper questions to make sure that people are tracking and are still tracking. I think it would be great if you had a, if I go back to that learning bite idea. So the learning bite might include a software scenario and then they have to determine the path, right? And so then they, they create the path or they tell you what the path is and what might be barriers or troubleshooting. So that might be another way of, of working within software training for learning reinforcement after the fact. Thank you, Maria. That was really good. So I think we stimulated some ideas there. Yes, nice approach. What else can we be doing? Anyone got like a crazy, a crazy, this worked and we didn't expect it to type of, of scenario? Well, there was the one time we did the wrist tattoos. That that did work. You did wrist tattoos. Oh my I'm- gosh, though, you said crazy, <laughs> but what if you got the what if you got the ones that fade? Oh, the fake tattoos. Well, I was totally joking, but all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, but what if you did something and you got the fake ones and you know, put them oh, on? Like people, a fake kit. Oh my fake. god, how fun would that be? Right? Had custom ones made. Yes. Oh my god, I'm doing this. I am doing this. You had a training program where people were live and you gave them fake QR code tattoos. I love that crazy out of the box idea. Somebody please steal that. 
and tell me how that goes. That is awesome. Gloria, I see you there. Yes, I have another crazy idea. I applied years ago uh, working for a business school. They had a certain programs and they wanted something that people will always remember. So we were teaching our programs were around emotional intelligence, leadership, and how to apply this. So we were trying to really make them live an experience and somehow we want them to be shocked. So what did we do? And it implies a little bit of budget and logistics, but we were working with uh, hidden cameras exercises where we were exposing them to situations. Well, they were traveling to a place, so we were able to have cameras in the hotel and we would play uncomfortable situations for them like they would receive the keys of the room would not work one two three five times so they would be crazy at the reception at the end so we would be <laughs> uh, filming everything and right after the top moment the peak we would stop and ask permission if you want to use this material or we delete it right now so we were kind of uh set in different situations they were reacting in different ways they were learning from each other when we were watching this in the room in the in the classroom later and that was experiences they will never forget they had a lot of fun but some of them also they had a really hard time in the situation and then afterwards they were I mean the harder first the funnier later and they will remember forever and they still have some some of them from time to time in contact saying yeah that was really top top training and it was really the only way we could have them acknowledging or recognizing yes I could behave that way because otherwise they would say no yeah but I'm I'm in control or when I am in that kind of situations I could do this or that but that's not the reality right so we wanted to see them in action the real real behavior and yeah it implies budget and, and logistics but it was very impactful. I bet. I bet you got some good data from that. And obviously, you know, when we think about recording people, it's all about permissions and all that other thing. But I love that idea of being able to say, we're going to put you into this situation. Let's see what happens. What are we learning from this? And then if you have that recording or if you have like the outcome afterwards, you can send that to them after the fact as a remember this, remember how you felt. Remember the techniques that you use to de-escalate yourself or, or what have you, you know, so you can send those as follow-up messages and that would be, you know, something that would be quite powerful. Yeah. The, like candid camera type of thing. I was going to just say that anytime we can do gaming mm -hmm. will help with retention. Um, considering children have to do many rote times to remember something, but if you turn it into gaming, it's like less than 10 times in which they then acquire what it is that the game was revolving around right. can be really helpful. So while it takes a lot of hard work to make a game for folks to engage in, even if it's like a board game, I'm sure that if there was a way in which you could go get around to do it, it, it would help with the retention. I know that there's a lot of PowerPoint templates out there for like family feud for, Oh, what is that other one with uh, Jeopardy? Money. Jeopardy. Yep. Thank yep. you. So there's, there's ways to make infusing what might not normally be fun, but making it fun. Yes. And you can do that after the fact. So after the fact, you can create a leaderboard. A lot of chatbots allow you to do that. And I've worked with those where you create this leaderboard and salespeople especially love leaderboards, you know, so they love that competitive nature of things. But here we are at the top of the hour. This hour flew. Lots of good ideas from this. Yes, Kahoot is a good app to carry things over. Mentimeter is a good app to carry learning over for sure. And I appreciate everybody's ideas and the direction that this conversation went. It went exactly as I had hoped. You know, lots of good ideas, lots of support to be able to take baby steps. It is about those baby steps. You don't have to do full-blown technical initiatives to make this happen. Sometimes it's just, Send them an email a week after the fact, ask some deep questions, send them a little video. But I love most is audio. I think we could do a lot with audio where we could put just a simple audio clip into an email, or if you can send messages via your learning management system or what have you, 
and just give them something quickly to listen to. Because a lot of people are in their cars or they're traveling, and that's an easy way to get learning reinforcement to people. So thank you everyone for joining us today and have a great weekend. Any special plans? Football. I know that. That's on my schedule. Stargazing. Stargazing. I like that. Is there a costume, Amanda? (laughs) Shamefully, yes. (laughs) Boat cruise and Renfest. What's a Renfest? Renaissance Festival. Oh, Renaissance Fest. Oh, I like that. And on a boat cruise, or are those two separate things? Two separate things. Okay, exhausting. Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. I knew this was going to be a hot topic, and I was right. You all came up with ideas so fast, I could hardly keep up. So what were the key takeaways today? Well, there were two. First, there are many ways to approach practice retrieval, which is the act of helping a person use information stored in their long-term memory. Now, there are low-technique applications like sending an email with lesson reminders, and there are higher-tech solutions like supporting learning with augmented reality. Generally, the advice from the group was pick something, try it, and do it. Now, the second takeaway here is we must activate everyone involved in the learning process. We cannot wait until a training plan has been created to involve management. They must be involved at the very beginning. And my favorite tip came from Chet when he discussed putting together a coaching packet for managers to use. Brilliant idea. Now, Renee was brave to point out that there will be failure, and that's acceptable. Failure is a part of what we do. And what's key here is that we keep trying, we keep exploring, and we keep experimenting. We have the ability to put into practice steps to reinforce learning, build triggers, and build habits. There were so many great tools and ideas shared today that I hope you take this as challenge accepted. Well, you want to join us live? And I know you do. Go on over to learningrebels.com and sign on up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.